Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. So Mara, we are so happy you can join us. Thank you so much for making time. I'm so excited to join you. Thank you so much for inviting me. (laughs) Well, we had a really great, was it FaceTime or Zoom call at the beginning of the pandemic, and it made me feel a lot less lonely. And so I thought maybe other people getting to hear your voice, it would make them feel less lonely too. (laughs) So thank you. It's nice that it proves that you don't have to physically be in the same space to form a connection, which I really appreciate. And I hope our industry will remember what we're learning right now and let people work outside of New York in the future, because that makes it an industry that's accessible to a lot more people. Yes, I agree. So Mara, what what are you reading now that you're really loving that maybe we could give away to one of our listeners? Something that I deeply love that I am rereading is Nocturna by Maya Montaigne. That's a YA fantasy. It is Latinx on voices. And it is one of the things that I'm looking for. And that's why I feel like I can go into that world and be comforted. Mm. It's just so enjoyable. It Like the voice drips off the page, which is something that I deeply love when I'm reading. And I highly recommend it. You know, if you want to escape, go to that world. (laughs) Well, we can talk a little bit later in the episode about how people can enter to win a copy. So yes, you do have to keep listening, eat your broccoli before you get your dessert, guys. But Mara, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're looking for in your inbox? So I like to talk about craft first, because I feel like that's the overarching thread of all of the things that I look for. And I love two things very, very much. That is voice. I love that voice that drips off the page that makes me feel like I'm talking to someone and listening to them. And I love characters. I love the character dynamics, relationships, character arcs, the way that characters change throughout a book. And those are the two elements that I am always looking for in a book. I feel like I am willing to sit through a whole book if I have those two elements. And I feel like even tweaking these elements, even though voice is very difficult to edit, will change the heart of a book. Yeah, absolutely. Voice has a lot to do with the overall effect and and how much we care. And I feel like there are a lot of projects out there where I wouldn't normally be interested in the subject matter, but I just love the voice so much. Yes, and that's also one of the reasons why I say that even... If I get a submission that might normally not be for me, sometimes I will just sit and and read it and try to acquire it, precisely because it has, you know, a sparkling voice and characters. But Mm. returning to that original question, (laughs) I am looking for young adult. In young adult, I do any and all kinds of fantasy. That is my favorite genre. I can go from grim, dark fantasy to, you know, a nice, lovely contemporary fantasy. Mm. In contemporary, I am looking for the light and fluffy stories, you know, romantic (laughs) comedies, stories of characters going off and living their best lives. And 
I am also huge on own voices, stories, and stories from marginalized writers and with marginalized characters. That is something that is very close to my heart, and I would love to shepherd more books from marginalized voices into the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really important mission, and I'm so happy more people are talking about doing that now. Yes. Yeah, me too. So, Mar, tell us um, how you got started and how you know how you knew you wanted to work in publishing. So, funnily enough, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, and I have always been an avid reader. And I remember as a child, I used to read the acknowledgments of books, and I would always wonder, who are these people that are featured in the acknowledgments? (laughs) (laughs) Like, who is this publicist and the editor and the marketer? I see that a lot of people work, you know, with a book. And I had a, a small dream, a gem of a dream, where I just told myself that it would be lovely to someday work in publishing. But that felt so far away being in Puerto Rico, because I felt like, New York City was so removed from where I was. So I kind of put that in the back burner and said, great, I'm going to study chemistry. Fast forward, (laughs) (laughs) fast forward a few years, I decided to switch majors to English with a concentration in literature. And I decided to pursue my writing dreams and my publishing dreams because I am also a writer. And I did an MFA, jump shipped over here stateside, and now I'm here. It was many years in the making, but I still catch myself looking around me and, you know, looking at the work that I do and marvel at it. That's amazing. So did you intern? How did you find your first position? So I found my first position by interning with Entangled Publishing. And that was a very lovely experience because I had hands-on editorial experience by advising for acquisitions through reading submissions from the slush pile. And, you know, I would talk in depth about these books. And the more I read, the more I understood what was out in the market, the more I researched the market. And then I left the internship and continue pursuing a position up here in New York. I was lucky enough to be interviewed by my two current bosses, and here I am. (laughs) And you work for a really fantastic imprint. You're at Wednesday, correct? I am at Wednesday Books, which is part of St. Martin's Publishing Group, and I can acquire across all of the imprints. But yes, that is my love. Can you talk to us a little bit about how imprints work within a publishing house? Yes, so imprints usually specialize in genres or kinds of stories. You have, for example, Wednesday Books, which is a young adult imprint in an adult house. And we publish young adult books that are a little bit towards a crossover line with adult. And within that imprint in Wednesday, we do all kinds of genres. Then we have, you know, other imprints that specialize in thrillers and mysteries. We have other imprints that specialize in format as opposed to a genre. For example, we have St. Martin's Paperbacks, which focuses on mass market releases. And that's where, you know, our category romances go. 
the mass market versions of certain books that were released in hardcover go. And, you know, an imprint is an interesting thing to study and work in because you have to kind of specialize in something particular and you have to learn what the imprint is looking for and how to do things. Well, I think Wednesday does a lot of things that are really specific and interesting. I love that it's focused on YA that skews a little bit older. And I feel like, I mean, my experiences have been really great. The editors were so open to concepts that kind of scared people away in the standard YA space. And I, I loved the openness to, to complexity there, too. Plus, you guys throw great parties. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I feel like we're all open to you know, experimenting, uh, we're open to interesting ideas and things that kind of push boundaries, which is great because I love turning things, you know, around and seeing something fresh. I feel like, for example, tropes are something that I deeply love, but I love when tropes are subversed. And I feel like a bunch of our writers in Wednesday books do that very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember um, the book I worked on there had content that was considered a bit mature for YA, but also was very true to life for a lot of people who are, are who are YA age. And I think that that's really important that I, I just really loved that that imprint respected that fact and wasn't frightened by it. <laughs> Thank you. I, I would just say it was it's just so interesting, you know, like the nuances that the rest of us Maybe if we really took a deep dive into it, we'd understand, but you guys are just so casually talking about it. It's pretty humbling. <laughs> it's interesting, too, because as an agent, you start to learn the rules of which imprints can receive work from you at the same time, because you never want to create a situation where colleagues have wasted time, in a sense, because only one of them could get a book, or to you know you don't want to create drama where it's one, two editors want the same book, and then they have to like be awkward and figure it out. Right. So <laughs> you always want to be respectful about that. But then also it gets a little more complicated because sometimes people like Mara can buy from multiple imprints. And so you want to, of course, maximize your client's chances without making it so that you've created tension in the office. And then, of course, are not the favorite agent of those editors in the future. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not sure I understand. So can you guys, and I'm so the fact I don't understand probably means that our listeners. Yeah, let's understand. talk about it more. Yeah. So like if, if there's multiple agents in a certain publishing, I mean, like literary agency, and then they goes to a publishing house, you don't want to be competing with your colleagues, correct? Is that what you're saying? Yes. So you usually as an agent, for example, say you have project X, if you have project X, you would submit that to one editor in that imprint, at least for us, that's how it works. You cannot do multiple submissions with editors in the same imprint if that makes any sense it does I think it's it was always a rule that you don't submit to St. Martin's and Thomas Dunn at the same time because they're affiliated uh, or were and you don't you don't submit to um, an editor who can buy for two imprints and then also to another editor who's at one of those imprints. Or, you know, at Harper Teen, it gets completely, <laughs> um, it gets really complicated because then, of course, there are the reading groups within the imprints and you can send it to different reading groups, but sometimes people move between the reading groups. So there are a lot of rules. And this is a reason why you have an agent navigating this process for you because they can have basically their whiteboard that's kind of like the, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon graphic 
if you've ever seen that, of this person knows this person, but then they also can buy for this other imprint. But these two editors are friends, and so you don't want to, you know, all of the considerations there, I think, get really complicated. But it Macmillan, at least my understanding, is that generally you can submit to two different editors at two different imprints at the same time or more, as long as you don't break the rules. Exactly. For example, you can submit something to Wednesday Books and then submit to Imprint, which is an imprint. An imprint named Imprint. Yes. (laughs) They are part of the Macmillan's children's group. So you can submit to Wednesday Books, you can submit to Imprint, and, you know, I believe you can also submit simultaneously to Henry Holt. So you can submit to different imprints within Macmillan, just make sure that they're in different publishing groups. Mm-hmm. Like I, you can't I submit to St. Martin. You can't submit to St. Martin's and Wednesday at the same time. You guys, I can feel my anxiety is starting to be Sorry. like. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's stop talking about this. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, like I just have this, like, this, like, like in my head, I saw like all these cogs, like gunk, 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 gunk. You know what I mean? Like, and then that you're stuck there, and then you're stuck, like. Oh my gosh, we need to... <laughs> okay, oh, we will talk about you? something else. The, the short answer <laughs> is writers don't have to worry about this. This is just one of many things that agents do <laughs> that you yeah. don't have to worry about. It just means that we're not literally hitting forward to every editor ever. ever. <laughs> um, so um, <laughs> this is just one of many things that agents do behind the scenes that you don't have to worry about. Yes, trust your agent. They know what they're oh doing. Oh my gosh. I know. Samara, tell us what you do when you're not working. So I love walking in New York City, especially Mm. going to parks and going to my favorite restaurants, which is a little difficult to do during the pandemic. But that is one of my favorite things. Oh, I love playing the Switch. I've always ever played Nintendo consoles. And my favorite video game right now is Fire Emblem Three Houses. I think I've beat the game around seven times already, and I just keep playing it because it's so great. (laughs) I also enjoy Breath of the Wild, which I've already beat, and I'm waiting for Nintendo to give us more information on the second game. And I also write. I am a writer, so I spend some time plotting my novel and talking to my writer's friends on Twitter they are the Magic Sprinting Squad. They are great. And <laughs> yes, those are the things that I generally do on my free time. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about being both a writer and an editor? Because I know that I've heard the advice that you're generally not supposed to do both, but so many people do and they succeed at it. So what do you think about that? I think that being a writer has been very helpful in my editorial career because I study craft. I have an MFA, so Uh, One of the reasons why I did the MFA was to understand craft and the way that it works in a story. You know, I look at a story like pieces of a puzzle and I studied each of those pieces. And I feel like that's actually very helpful for me when I'm editing because I can clue in into what is wrong with the book or what needs to be, you know, addressed, what we can make better, what we can you know, maximize. It will also help me see what are the strengths of the writer and I can actually talk craft with the writer. What are some lessons from your MFA that come up in your day-to-day life? If there is a piece in a story that isn't working, the whole story will not work. 
And that's something that I also apply to my day to day. Sometimes, you know, there is something wrong, but is that actually what's wrong? And, you know, you start looking at the whole and then you start looking at the at the pieces. And, you know, sometimes the whole thing is wrong. Sometimes one piece is, is wrong. So, you know, it helps me to look at things a little bit deeper, but also draw back and look at them in a bigger scope. Yeah, definitely. And also, I think it is true that sometimes changing one element can make a big difference, kind of like how there are so many fantasy novels where it's our world, but one thing is different. And there are these huge ripple effects when that occurs. Exactly. As an agent, I certainly don't give priority to people who have MFAs, though I appreciate that people have taken the time to do it. What do you think is the best advice for writers there? To be completely honest, I think that you don't need an MFA to be a writer. The reason why I did an MFA was because in Puerto Rico, I did not find any resources that would help me learn about craft. I did not know who to turn to so that I could know how to effectively write a book to understand the way that I thought about a book, the way that I, you know, process, for example, characters and plot, the way that I crafted a story. So my advice would be, if you know where to turn to, just find craft books. Craft books are good and find excellent critique partners and make sure that they're actually critique partners as opposed to someone who reads your book and they're like, this is great. That's not a critique partner. <laughs> you know, we all want to hear that everything that we write is great, but we also need someone who looks at your book and is like, well, what are the motivations of your characters? They have no motivation. Oh, look, the pacing is lagging a little bit. And I feel like the community is what made the MFA worth it for me because I got mm -hmm. to see what other writers did the way that they also crafted their stories and they honed in on different things of my own writing. Like I had a colleague who would read my, my writing and tell me that I was good at a uh, voice, for example. And then, you know, I would learn that that is a strength. And I think it's really important to know the things that you're doing well too. Like a good critique partner or a good agent is going to tell you the good stuff, not just the stuff you need to fix. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think that's really important. And if you're out there listening to this and have no idea where to start with a critique partner, you can go into our Facebook group. It's just manuscriptacademy.com slash Facebook. And you can put a post up about what you're looking for in a critique partner and you'll find people there. So don't feel like it's impossible. There are a lot of nice writers there who are there to help. So yeah, I agree with you. It's so hard to find um, a good critique partner uh, just in... Sometimes if you're looking mostly in the people who are geographically near you, it's hard to find the person who's right for you. But if you broaden your search to uh, those that are on the internet, which absolutely is a good thing to do right now, I think it can be really helpful. Well, you guys, I also think if you're looking for critique partners, you just have to figure out maybe some ground rules with how you want to work. Because there's lots of different ways to set up critique groups and to have that workflow. And once you find people with the same amount of like workflow and volume, that's really where you find the magic there. It's also important to find someone that understands what you're trying to do on the page and what is happening on the page, because not every person that you meet can be an effective critique partner for you. You need Absolutely. someone who understands where you're trying to take your story and someone who knows how to push you that way. 
which is why I keep talking about my critique partners and um, my writing group, the Magic Sprinting Squad. We all specialize in different things, but we all understand what we're trying to do with our books. So when we give feedback, we focus on the things that we think might help improve the gem that is the book. That's a very nice way of putting it. Yeah, so interesting. Can you tell us about a moment where everything came together perfectly? So for writing, I am a meticulous plotter. I have a notebook that I call the Book Bible, and that is the notebook where I have every single thing that I might need to know about the world, the characters, and the plot. Before you even start writing? Yes. So I need to feel like... So you are a plotter and not a pantser at all. (laughs) Yes, I am a meticulous plotter. I feel like I need to be an expert in the world and in the characters and understand more or less where the plot is going before I can sit down to write because then I will just do lovely, lovely word vomit. And that's not helpful for me. But So do you, do you always write fantasy as well? Yes, I write fantasy. That's what I've been writing. I do contemporary fantasy and I do high fantasy, which is uh, the book that I'm currently working on. But a moment where everything came together when I was writing was... I am the kind of person who, when I get a seed, I start writing about the seed and then watch it sprout. So when I was trying to look for the motivation for my protagonist, she wants to go save her brother. But I asked myself, what else does she want? Because her motivation shouldn't necessarily be tied to someone else. What does she want for herself as a person? And, you know, from the motivation that she had to find her brother, I veered off and started exploring her motivation. And through her motivation, I found the antagonist's motivation. So that's, you know, one of those moments, at least for me, where it all came together. Because everything in a book is interconnected, whether we see it or not. Can you tell us about a moment everything came together in your editorial life, too? Yes. (laughs) I was editing a book and I was actually struggling with it. I kept asking myself, what is wrong with me that I am not connecting with this book when things are happening and I'm understanding what's happening? And then when I got to about 90% of the book, everything kicked in in the book and I enjoyed that last 10% of it. So when I Close the book, I had to sit down and think really hard about what was the problem with the book. And then I realized that both characters didn't have any motivation that propelled the story forward. And that unfortunately resulted in the author having to rewrite the book under deadline. But, you know, that basically came together for me because then I could point out, hey, the characters don't have any motivation that um, propels the story forward, which means there's also no ticking clock. And, you know, that is basically a domino effect. That's why I always say that when you look at a piece of a book, it just affects the whole thing. If something isn't working or something needs to be tweaked, it will not allow the book to be, you know, the best version of itself. 
So do you believe in um, re- like re- revising certain parts of it, or do you think that often it's a, a total rewrite? I believe that you can revise parts. It depends on what is going on with the book. Sometimes, you know, you have to revise a whole scene because there's no heart to the scene. There's nothing that propels the story forward. Or you don't know what the character is trying to do. Sometimes you have to revise, you know, a plot point. Sometimes you have to revise a character motivation. Sometimes you have to cut a character. I guess it depends on what I understand that the writer is doing with the story or what they want to do. That's how I edit. I try to figure out what the writer is trying to do and then send edits. So I believe that it depends on what the book needs. The answer is multiple things. I believe in everything that might possibly push the book towards in the direction that the author wants it to go. I really love hearing this because people have been saying something that I think is a cute phrase and therefore has gotten a lot more credit than it deserves, which is edits, editors no longer edit. And I love that you're saying all of this because you're approving that that is not true. Um, Do you know why people have that impression right now? And can you just say once and for all that this is not actually something that's real? You know, this is the first time that I hear that, and I am sad that you cannot see my face because I'm, I just tilted my head off to the side, oh, no. <laughs> um, just like, you know, marveling. But I can 100% say that that's not true. If you have an editor who is not editing your book, is not asking you questions or telling you why, for example, they're not giving you edits, because I have had books that come in and they're very clean. And I just say, like, you need to clarify this a little bit and clarify this. And I think the book is great. You know, unless your editor is not telling you why they're not giving you edits, that is a red flag for me. Your editor should always be editing you. And you're more than welcome to send them an email and ask them or pick up the phone and call them because that is our job. We are there to edit a book. And if we just think that you need to tweak a few things, we should be able to tell you why we think you need to um, tweak just a few things and leave the book as is. I think it's so interesting because when I had heard it, it was usually in the context of, okay, now that we're post 2008 and a lot of people got laid off and everyone has a lot more work to do themselves, each editor has less time for editing. And on that front, I think that makes sense. But the idea that someone who is there to get your book in the best possible shape wouldn't be you know, suggesting anything just seems really strange to me. And of course, when I send out a book, I try to get it as clean and ready as possible. But I do always assume that an editor will have something to say about it. And if anything, I really respect the editors who have who buy a book and have a lot of edits, because that means that they see the potential and it's going to turn into something special that is not the same book that anyone else could have worked on. I agree, because when you acquire a book as an editor, it means that you have a vision for the book. And not only that you have a vision for the book, it also should mean that your vision for the book aligns with what the author is trying to do. So it's just, it's strange to me that they are, that that's something that's being said, that editors do not edit. Because yes, we are short on time, but you know, our titles say so. We are editors. We're supposed (laughs) to edit. 
you know, the content that we get. And, you know, for example, in my case, sometimes I have a lot of submissions to read, but I must edit the books that come in that are under contract. Those take precedence over submissions. So it makes no sense to me that, you know, editing would not be given the priority that it should be given. Julie, have you heard that phrase? I have heard that phrase. And, you know, I feel like, you know, from the point of view of the writer, you know, that it's, you then you're like, well, who? like, I, I feel like it's making writers feel like everything needs to be perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, and that the, and I think that's been a Twitter, you know, conversation, you know, do you need to, how polished does a manuscript need to be prior to submitting to an agent? And then once you're at that level, like, you know, some agents are sending it through without anything and others are, you know, so I, I feel like there's just like, it, it makes it feel like to me that, you know, you go back to the perfectionism that we ask writers, which I think is really hard, but I think that you guys talking about this this way is going to really help writers say, okay, you know, like it's, it's a team. It's like, it's a team. And I really like Mara that you said, you know, you still have to honor the writer's vision. And a lot of my writing friends, I've certainly heard, you know, that they'll, there's some things that their editors can push them on and they'll just do it. And other things are going to, you know, really put their foot down because they're afraid it's going to change too much with the character. So I feel like it's a really interesting conversation for sure. And complicated, well, you know, it is. And I, and I get trying to make something as clean as possible. You know, you want all of your punctuation, correct? You want to have gone over your book as much as you can with your critique partners. So it's as ready as possible because you get one chance per agent per book, uh, generally. But there's no one perfect. Perfect for one editor is going to be completely different than perfect for another. And I, I really like how Mara's talking about, you know, just how deeply invested she is in the editorial process. And I think that should be reassuring, not only for writers, but for the industry, because it is an art. It's not just a hit forward and rubber stamp it. I agree. And also another thing that I wanted to point out is that a thing that I love to do when I am having author conversations before I acquire a book is that I always want to make sure that I understand what the writer is trying to do. So I ask them, is this what you were trying to do with the book? Because I feel like, you know, writing a book is such a deep process that you need someone who understands what you're trying to do. And I feel like if your editor does not understand what word you're trying to go, they cannot push they cannot push you not only to write the best version of the book, but to be the best writer that you can be. Because at the end of the day, that's another goal that an editor should have. We should be able to push our writers to be the best writers that they can be, to maximize their strengths and help them along in the things that they struggle with. So it's I'm I'm intrigued by this conversation about editors not editing. And you know, I agree with Jessica that there's no perfect book that does not exist. This industry is very tailored to the things that we like. We like certain books with certain tropes and certain things. And you know, you can have a friend who doesn't like 
that book with those tropes and those things. It is very subjective. Yeah, well, I hope everyone is listening at home feeling more hopeful about how we all have different tastes, thank goodness, (laughs) and how there will be people who receive your work and want to help you make it the best possible thing it can be versus expecting that that's something that you just have to somehow magically do and predict yourself. So I really appreciate everything you've you've said on that front. Can you tell us about something you've changed your mind about in in your time in the industry? So... The more time that I'm here in the industry, the more I see the lack of diversity in it. It's not that I didn't know that there was a lack of diversity. I am a woman of color, so I and I am in the Twitter community, so I have seen the conversations and partaken in them. But you know, when you're an outsider, you do know that that's a problem. But when you're on the other side, you really truly see it. And you know, you see it down to the granular level. And that's something that I would love to help change. I want to ask this question in a way that um, doesn't put the responsibility on you to come up with all (laughs) the ideas. But if you happen to have any ideas that you would like to share, I'm a big believer. And if we all talk about good ideas, eventually they can become something we do. Is there anything you've thought about that if you could wave a magic wand, you would change? I would have more diverse people working in the industry across the board in all departments, in all gatekeeping positions. I feel like we all come with different perspectives. We all look at the world differently. We all have different experiences. And those shape the way that we not only do the work that we do, but the way that we understand books, the way that we market books, the way that we edit books, and the way that we do publicity for them, for example. So I would actually wave a magic wand and put more by POC and, you know, disabled and queer staff members in any and all positions, positions of power, mid-level, starting uh, positions, even interns. I feel like that will just, you know, make waves. And it is not up to buy POC and, you know, marginalize people to do the heavy work. We do need our allies to help us. But I feel like having more diverse people in the in the industry is already a step. Yeah, absolutely. We want to have as much support as possible. And we don't ever want to put someone in the position of, so what do you think about this and not having any backup in the room? Um, exactly. I think, that's, I think that's really, really important. And I, it, it's tough because obviously there is it's difficult to work in publishing in general. Um, I think there are a lot of things we could do to make it more accessible without, you know, people having to have the question of, can I afford to do this? Will I be kicked out of my apartment if I take this lower paying job that promises that someday I'm going to make more? How do I, you know, choose the best career path for me if everyone is promising more money down the road, but hardly any right now. And, you know, all while living in an incredibly expensive city. And I just, I really hope that we'll get to a point where we finally realize we don't all have to be in person in New York to get the work done. That would be lovely. And, you know, that would also allow communities that are 
nowhere near New York to be able to access this industry and do change. But also it would be lovely if, you know, the industry got on with the times and realized that mm, the wages that we have are not necessarily very good wages. Oh, they're definitely not good wages. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it, it's, just, it's just a fact that if you start with a starting salary at any major publishing house, you can't get your own apartment. Uh, you will be living with a lot of roommates and your apartment may be falling apart. And I think that it's already stressful enough to be in the industry if you're also spending time wondering what crazy thing your landlord's going to do next. That mm-hmm. just takes a lot of energy away from your work. Mara, what are some great tips you've learned for writers over your time in the industry? Find good critique partners, which I've already mentioned, but seriously, do find some good critique partners who understand your writing and, you know, who are not afraid to dive deep into the book with you and then find the right agent. There are many agents out and about. Some agents are editorial agents, some are not. Just find one that is a good fit. And a thing that I always, always tell my writer friends is your agent is in your corner. Please send them emails, ask them all of the questions. No, you are not bothering them. They want to hear from you. They are here to help you. They are here to explain. And also you can email your editor and ask them questions about things. But your agent is always the person who is always and forever in your corner. Hmm. Can you tell when you're working with an author-agent pair what their relationship is like? Yes, I can actually tell. There are certain questions that come my way that, you know, I never mind answering questions. I love answering questions. But they are questions that should always go to the agent. So I can tell that this is either a writer who does not want to bother their agent or they just, you know, don't communicate well for whatever reason. So I can tell. Can you give us a sense of like how a a writer can know if they're asking questions to an editor that should be going to their agent and vice versa? You know, questions that sometimes I get is, can you send me a copy of my contract? Well, you know, your, your agent should have a copy of your contract. I've gotten... Authors asking me questions about, can you explain the contract to me? And I can explain parts of the contracts, but, you know, you should go to your agent, especially your agent, because they were the ones who negotiated that contract for you with their clauses, with their agency clauses, and they understand it better. And they can tell you, you know, how the contract is working. And there are a bunch of other things that I, you know, get asked by writers that, again, I never mind explaining them. But, you know, you should always go to your agent so that they know, they can clue in on if something's worrying you, if, you know, you have questions that are, you're not asking, and they can just, like, sort of zoom into it, just, like, focus on it. Like, I always wondered what editors were thinking about the different author-agent pairs that they see, because you must see a lot of um, variety there, too. Yes, I do. (laughs) Mara, what are some other things that you wish you had known when you were starting out as an author and things that you've only learned because you've been an editor? Oh, that's also a very interesting question. I've learned a lot of things from the industry by being on the other side. And I feel like 
all of the knowledge that I have about, for example, the life of a book, how a book is created, how it goes, you know, from being agented to an editor to acquisitions, how copy edits work and first pass pages. I feel like that's information that has been incredibly helpful because it has made me understand what happens on the other side when there's silence. For example, a thing that I keep reminding my writer friends is that, you know, querying can feel like you send something to the void yeah. <laughs> and you don't know what's coming back. But it's because agents are busy, you know, they have to help their current clients. And then there are things happening at home, especially during the pandemic that, you know, they might need to solve. And they might have to, you know, edit a book for their clients to send out to submission. And then they can sit down and read queries. And the same thing happens for editors. You know, being a submission can also feel like you're sending something into the void and you don't know what's coming out. So, you know, if you get silence for, from an editor, and when I, mean, when I say silence, it doesn't mean that we just don't acknowledge nudges. When I say silence, I mean, you know, they are on sub and they haven't heard from any editor and it's been a month. It's because, mm. you know, editors have to do the their admin work every day. They have to prioritize books that come in that are under contract that are being published. And, you know, they sometimes have to read other submissions that are moving very quickly and take them to acquisitions. And, you know, they're reading submissions, but editors are reading submissions, but it depends on you know, what's happening on their end. So even if you query or, you know, are in submission and you don't hear anything, just, this is easier said than done, but just be patient. It's not that you're being ignored. It's just that agents and editors have to split their time and do multiple things. Can you talk a little bit about the things that you have to do on a day-to-day basis that are not reading manuscripts? (laughs) Oh, wow. That's a lovely question because I do a lot of things and I don't do the same thing every day. Things that I do on a day-to-day basis is I have to assist two bosses with um, things that they might need. That includes, you know, running calendars. That includes scheduling meetings, attending meetings. I attend, you know, editorial meetings for certain imprints. Sometimes I have to route materials. I am the person who sends, you know, copy edits and pass pages to authors. Sometimes there's a problem with, you know, an entry in our database. And the entry is what will feed out information into the world, you know, to Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and the Indies. Sometimes I have to talk to production about scheduling. Sometimes, you know, a book is late and we have to crash edit it. Sometimes... I have to talk to publicity and marketing about assets. Sometimes I have to clean up a manuscript to send it into production. And that includes, you know, filling a bunch of forms. I have to pick up the phone because someone is calling one of my bosses. I have to route materials. Like, you know, we get something called mechanicals. And that's, you know, where you see the cover, like the flat cover of a book. So that would be the cover, the spine, and the back. And, you know, I have to proofread that. I have to write copy for books. So I do so many different things. And once I clock out and I, quote unquote, leave the office, then is the time when I either edit a book or read submissions. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I know that even just meetings alone probably take up a huge amount of your day too. Yes. Um, funnily enough, every time that I open my computer, I open three things, one behind the other. I open my email, I open the database, and I open my calendar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's busy. So where can we find you online? Oh, you can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at little underscore MS writer. That is me. We'll put that in the show notes. And what are some of your books that we can look for on shelves? I just acquired my first book. um, Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's called Reclaim the Stars. It's edited by Soraida Cordova. And oh, it's amazing. a young adult science fiction and fantasy anthology that we hope to launch for winter 2022, but we will see. And I am scouring, you know, my submissions for more books. <laughs> and can you think of a magic key phrase to use for those who want to win the book that we mentioned earlier? What's something unusual that they can send an email with and, and we'll know that it's for that? I'd say stars. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The book is called Nocturna, which means nocturnal in Spanish. Then we have stars. All right. So send an email to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with stars in the subject line, and we'll send a copy to the first three people who respond with that. Mara, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Thank you. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. And not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with First Pages Podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.